on the Judy again and today we have a elite footballer kind of guessed with this one because it's our first lady of the game and she's quite very established her accolades are like wow like we'll go through them I'll make a, I'll make sure I make a note of how many she's won but um yeah Enya Luko welcome Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making me the first lady. Nah, if we was going to make someone the first lady, it had to be you, man. Um, like I said, um, to win something in football, I always find to win something in football is the hardest thing and you've won, we'll get through them quite a lot. Where did that, or where did the love of football come from? Um, I think I was born with it, you know. I've thought about this a lot. I, I get asked this a lot. Um, so I grew up in Birmingham, council estate, Lots of grass, you know, um, lots of kids in yeah. the area. And all the kids were boys. So okay. it was a bit of a strange one because I was the only girl. And then obviously my brother's two years younger than me. So, you know, my quickest way of being accepted in the, in the area of boys was to play football like them. Yeah. Um, but no one taught me how to play football. No one, like, taught me this is how you kick it, this is what you do. It just was there yeah. and then when I was hanging around with the boys at five six it was just there okay. and I was like running rings around them <laughs> you know jumpers for goalposts it's, it was so more... it was very it was very much something that was already inside me I think yeah. and then it just came out in that environment I find back in the day it was more instinct like a yeah I've got to be better than you so I'm going to outrun you I'm going to kick it harder than you I'm going to score more goals than you whereas now you've got parents and coaches and one-to-one -one coaches trying to teach kids young ages things that they're going to learn at 11 and 12, trying to get them ahead of the game. It's mad. So you say your brother was... Are you better than your brother? Whoa, that's a that's a loaded question. <laughs> All right, I, can't, I can't really answer that. Um, you, you might get mad at me. But I think we've got different attributes. Um, I think when we were younger, to your point... Um, it was all about who was the most skillful, who could yeah. do the nutmeg and, you know, who could embarrass each other. Um, but it was all fun. Um, whereas when you get into more organised football, and it's actually something that happened to me, it all got coached out of me. Okay. So it was like, oh, it's not the it's not the Enya Luko show. Like, get it, pass it. Okay. Get it, give it. And so all that individuality that I had and learnt from my brother and learnt from the, the other boys in my, in my area... Um, just I kind of had a fear about it so I wouldn't do it I wouldn't I remember my first training session with England and I, I did a rainbow over over a girl's head <laughs> and it was like what are you doing like this oh, is really? not any show and so obviously at 14 15 years I'm not going to do that again so I feel like I was always quick I was always fast I always knew how to beat a player but where my brother, it was encouraged, he was a lot more skillful than me at, at a critical age. Okay. Whereas I was taught to get it, give it and pass it. And so when I look at my career trajectory now, I'm like, I could have been much more skillful if I didn't get coached in that way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Is that, um, is that something that happens in women's football a lot? Because you said your brother was encouraged to take people on and you was mm. told to pass it. Is that is it because the playing styles are different? Um, I think it's more like in women's football, it was like women's football is a young sport, right? Yeah. So they're trying to shape it in a way that, that, you know, a lot of coaches were trying to shape it from a developmental perspective. 
men's football obviously has been around for hundreds of years. So there, there's more space for superstars. Okay. Right? So I feel like when you, if you're young and you're a superstar in women's football, it was like, we don't really have time for that. Yeah, you're good. You're here. We're picking you. But it's more about the team. Okay. Oh, so they're trying to grow the thing as a yeah, as a whole was, rather than and that's fine. That's that's totally fine because you need that as well. But I just feel like in terms of individuality and players who really know how to kind of entertain and yeah. they're limited because of the way we've been we've been coached. Whereas in in the, in the guys' game, it's like that stuff is celebrated. Yeah, you know, my my brother still posts clips now of like. Like him chopping a defender, not making him going back again. Yeah, and I could do that when I was younger, but it was not something that was encouraged. So it's just different. It was just different growing up. Do you think that's halted the growth of women's football? Because say you, they did have a say you were the most skillful women's footballer. Obviously, I'm not taking away what you've accomplished. Do you reckon it will draw more fans to the game quicker? I think it's cultural. I I think it's cultural. I think. In England, even in the men's game, you'd say, there's this like, you know, d d don't get too big for your boots. Don't be a, yeah. you know, don't be a superstar. There's this like, there's this like self-deprecating, you know, thing where you've got to sort of pretend that you're not as good. I had a Brazilian coach in America and I remember like I did something in training and I was kind of looking at him to say like, why aren't you saying well done? <laughs> But because he, he'd grown up in an environment where skill was the norm, yeah, he didn't think it was anything special. So it's culture. I feel like it's cultural. In Brazil, all of that flicking over the head, dribble, chop, all that is, is encouraged. Yeah. Whereas in England, I feel like the culture is more, uh, you know, be be humble, you know, get, get the ball and pass it to your teammates, Hard even work. if you want to. So and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it's just where I grew up as a footballer in comparison to, you know, to a Marta who is one of the best female footballers and she is she could play in the men's game in terms of the level of skill and yeah. technique. Now you said that, I've got a question. So I've been having I've bragged about you coming on, yeah. <laughs> and I've got friends that aren't footballers but play like Sunday league and, you know, lower league levels and they they seem to think or well, they think that a women's team will never beat a men's team. Do you reckon that could ever happen? I'm not talking Chelsea women beat, beating Chelsea men's, but like let's say a Chelsea women's played a step six, like Ryman yeah. level team. Do you reckon they could give them a run? I mean, yeah, I think give them a run, yeah. Um, we've, like, we've, we've trained and played against boys' teams before where we've won or we've drawn or um and to be honest I think the the comparison's a silly one yeah. because it's men and women are different. Um it's the same sport but there's different nuances to it. So the comparison is kind of a lazy one. Because it's a bit like saying would a Ryman League guys team beat Barcelona men's team? Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's not that big of a comparison, but it's just different, yeah. right? And it's just ac accepting and respecting how women play the game is different to how men play the game. Yeah. But I think often that comparison almost disrespects the game, women's game, because we play it in a way that's different that can be appreciated and respected. Yeah, I hear that. My, my argument with them is 
they train full time. So they tactically, they'll play you off the park physically and all the yeah. other stuff. You might win that battle, but tactically, they're, they're no. I think where women's mugs. football is now, in terms of the professionalism, in terms of all the resources and training, I think a top, top women's game, women's team could compete, hold it, hold their own in a training session against a top men's team. Okay. As you said, in terms of ball possession, tactically, but physicality, of course, yeah. it's just not even, it's not even fair. Nah, thank you. Um, <laughs> I might have to, if they don't believe what you say, I might have to holler at you I actually got say. approached, I actually got approached to do a show about this topic. Okay. And, and I turned it down for that reason, because I thought the upside for women, there's no upside for women's football yeah, in this. Yeah, Like, because the comparison is just, it, 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 we're never going to benefit from the comparison. Yeah, I hear. You that. know, if you see women's football for what it is, cool. If you see men's football for what it is, cool. If you if you don't like it, that's fine. But the comparison is not is not something that it's it's just. I think it's a little bit lazy. You no. know? I just think some people need to be humbled, and to be humbled, you gotta take get taste the um get the first taste of it. So yeah, I might yeah, have to yeah. holler at you to organize a little friendly well, a game or something. Guys, listen, so. <laughs> a lot of guys when when you play five a side or. You know, a lot of the guys that you've played, I play against in, in, you know, I've played against in training. They're shocked. They're shocked because they're like, "Wow, I didn't, I didn't know women could play like this." Yeah. Um. So it's the respect level goes up when you see it, when you appreciate it. No, I hear that. Um, just touching away on it. In men's football, you get the stigma of what men do outside, what the footballers do after football, like. You know, when they finish training, they go play golf or they could be ravers or, you know, have other ways of entertaining themselves. You don't really get that in from women yeah. athletes. Why is that? Like, why is it like a secret society? Is it they, <laughs> you know, just so secluded or is it just um, that nobody cares? Like, no, I think I think for a long time. We were so we, we were so uh, desperate to become professional. You know, so women's football was semi-pro for a long time. Yeah. You know, I went to uni, I was playing football. I went to college, I was playing football. I then became a lawyer, I was playing football. I was working two, three jobs sometimes. Oh, wow. That that's the that's the career path that was that that was like that for a long time. So when we finally got the chance to go pro, I mean, I think my first pro contract, I had to go to America, and then I came back. So my first pro contract in England wasn't until I was like twenty four, twenty five. Oh, wow. Which is very late yeah. in football, in, if you compare it to men's football. Yeah. So it's kind of like when we get the professional contract, we're not trying to mess with that. Okay. You know? um, so I, I just think there's a different level of respect towards professional football that a lot of women have had to wait a long time. So we're not trying to be out there in the clubs, you know. Getting papped and stuff. And we're not paid millions either. We're not. Do- True. We're never doing it for the for the money. You know, I never played women's football. I never played football for the money. I would have, I would have quit football and become a lawyer and got paid a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it because I love, love the game. Whereas in men's football, a lot of guys get into it to for the millions, and then it's about showing all, all of that off. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I don't, I don't knock that. You got to enjoy your life. But I just think in terms of the professionalism of the game, um, that's probably why you don't see as a lot of women sort of messing around because it's like. We've been waiting for this for a long time. Yeah, I'm not gonna throw it away for a night out. I can have that whenever in it. Yeah, that's true. Good, good little insight there. Um, back to growing up in Brum. Um, 
is your family, like your household, was it traditional, like, like traditional Nigerian or was it like flexible? Because a girl playing football in an <laughs> African household yeah. isn't, you know, number one. Do you know one. what? I am, I'm really grateful to my mum for, for like, she never made me feel like being a girl footballer was weird or strange. Yeah. Um, you know, when I played out with the boys in Birmingham on my estate, I was I was so I was so keen to be one of them <laughs> that I told them to call me Eddie. Yeah. So I kinda of was like, Eddie's long, like no one no that's that's a weird name. So I was like, call me Eddie. Right? So I wanted to be one of the boys. So the boys would knock on the door and they'd say, Oh, oh is Eddie coming out? And my mum would be like, Who's Eddie? It's Eddie. Who's Eddie? Like, and it's obviously a, a daughter, but she never, she never, she just wanted my talent to blossom. She wanted me to be happy, play out, do your thing, come, you know, as long as you come in, whatever. Um, and I think that's because of that, I was able to just, you know, do my thing in football. Yeah. It got a bit touchy with when I went to school because when I went to school and I was better than some of the boys, parents were then like, who said a girl can play? Like, I was, they was getting I was jealous. ask you this, yeah, that's mad. And that's when I started thinking, oh, like, I don't really want to be that girl. Um, and then my mom said, okay, maybe try tennis. And, we, you know, she took me to tennis. But she just facilitated a lot of my talent. So to your point, I think a lot of, you know, for coming from a, a Nigerian background, it, she could easily have been like, what's this football thing? Like, <laughs> go and read your book, yeah. you know? She was quite big on my education later on. But she was okay with me still playing football. So I'm really grateful for that because I think from a cultural perspective, a lot of parents can hold their children back. You don't know who your kid's going to be, you know? Facts. Facts. The next whiz kid, the next burner boy, the next whoever, you don't know. So let their talent blossom. Yes, they can still go to school or whatever, but I I always say this, like, don't let culture get in the way. You know, because you might have a gift and your child might have a real, a proper gift, you know. Facts, facts. Parents, African parents. Listen up. <laughs> listen. But you just touched on something I'm going to ask you. Burner Boy, Wizkid or Davido? Davido. Ooh, that's Pick. a tough choice. Um, well, Wizkid, I'd say. Wizkid yeah? is, I like Wizkid a lot. Um... Are you, like pumping Yoruba, the, are you pumping Wiz in the change room? Yeah, I listen to all of them, to okay. be fair. Um, Davido, I'm not happy with him. <laughs> when I was in I was in Ghana for New Year, not last year, the year before, and I went to Afro Nation. My man came out at three o'clock in the morning. I heard about this. He and kept, I'm thinking, he's bougie, if you was in London, you're not trying to be this late. You would have got rushed. And we're in we're in Ghana, like so. I I kind of put I went off him because of that. Okay. And then he came out and just kind of shouted the whole all of his songs. Um. So I'm still angry at that Davide for that. <laughs> but Wizkid, Burner, Burner's doing great things. I yeah. think for just African politics in its Nigerian politics in of itself, you know. Yeah. But if I had to pick, he'll be he'll be Wizkid. He was the first. He was one of the first. Yeah, he's a star boy, isn't it? Big man, isn't it? But Davido can't really chat to you. I've seen him play football and it's. <sighs> Oh really? There's a clip, oh, sloppy, sloppy. <laughs> like we'll find it I and need watch to it. See this, yeah. If you know, message him or message his people <laughs> and like kill him. Um, do you go back a lot? Do you go back home a lot? I try to. So um, I try to go to Africa every year. Like that's kind of a thing that I, I I've said to myself because 
after like after I retired, or even even just like maybe the last three years of my career, tr- I was I started to think, okay, what do I really want to do when I retire? And travel was a big one. Yeah. Like I, I really got the sort of appetite for travel, um, and I'm really keen on like how Africa makes me feel as a person. Like it really roots. I think it's a real like it's good for the soul. Yeah. You know. So I go back to Nigeria, but I I, I want to go. I want to travel Africa in general. Um, so I've been to Botswana, I've been to Ghana, I've been to Kenya, South Africa. Uh, my next place is Tanzania. So I try yeah. and it's not just Nigeria. You missed that one, big one. Uganda is all shout Uganda, out. Ugandans. Uganda, been to I'm Uganda. I'm Ugandan, so. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, yeah, shout yeah, yeah I've been Ugandans, to Uganda. Um, it was a good time. Yeah, I go back every year, like Christmas time, and okay. with my dad, like even things like creating a family group chat where we only speak like the, our native tongue and stuff yeah. like makes me not forget it you know it's important. so like yeah. things like seeing lethal b and like yourself and fuse go back every year and try and mm. pump money into the economy and develop and mm. encourage the young africans to go back home and you know look into their history and stuff like that that makes me proud that surely surely it does the same for you isn't it? yeah i think it's so important for us in diaspora i think it's so important for us to really feel a sense of home to where we where we come from and really invest in, and and create platforms for other people to flourish i think that's really important um because you know we're in a place in the world now where you know if if we can't really expect um anyone else to do it but ourselves yeah you know so we we've got to create our own economies and levels of ownership and investments in our own countries facts um rather than waiting for for it to for anyone else to do it yeah i hear that um back touching on something because you called yourself eddie you're touching i'm going to touch on women female footballer stereotypes mm. is that see that eddie like name is that something you created yourself or was that like ah, oh, like someone said eddie by accident and then boom Stuck. I can't remember, you know, because I was young. This is like six, seven years old. Um, but I just remember thinking I was okay with it because I just wanted to be one of the boys. Okay. Um, and it's very close to any, you know. People yeah. used to call me Annie. <laughs> you know, you, you got a Nigerian name. Like, it gets, you know, people sort of rip it apart. Try and find the most so I don't even think my name's that difficult to say. But um, it was one of them where it was just like, oh, yeah, just, just call me Eddie. But it was just, it was my desperation to be one of the boys. I didn't want to be... I didn't want to stand out as the girl. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Was you a tomboy? Yeah, I was a tomboy. Big or just like wearing your uh, brother's clothes? Or... Yeah, I just lived in... I was a Man United fan growing up. <laughs> sorry so I lived that. in Man U kits. Um, did you just say sorry about that? Who do you support? You're an Arsenal fan? Of course I am. Oh, Jesus. Why did I come on this podcast? <laughs> um, yeah, edit that bit out, man. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so I used to just be in football kits. I used to love football kits. I begged my mum to buy me a BMX, like the okay. rest of the boys. I was a proper tomboy. Um, and then obviously I've, I, you know, I grew up. I still like my trainers and yeah. my hats, and you know, but I can I can rock rock heels as well and dress. And, <laughs> so I'm much more, you know, I've I've tapped into my femininity uh, later on in life. Decent. So, who was a pro first? You or your brother? Oh, my brother. Yeah, my brother. Yeah, he did, was. He was um, Birmingham YTS from 16. Maybe even earlier than that. So he was in the academy system from early, like maybe 10. Okay. 
Um, and then obviously got a pro, a, a YTS at 16. I think the system's changed a little bit, but got a YTS at 16. And then, yeah, went on loan to Aberdeen. Went to Aberdeen, did well there. Yeah. Went to Rangers, did well there. And then went to Hull. So he was a Premier League footballer, like, in his 20s. Okay. You know, earning obviously good money. And, yeah. But, you know, I've never... I've never envied my brother for that. I've always kind of seen my path is different. Yeah. And I think because I've always had to do other things alongside football, it's now served me well. Now I'm somebody that does multiple things with multiple income streams and multiple platforms. I think that's really important, you know, because yeah. if we just keep all our eggs in one basket, we become sort of, I don't want to say a slave to that basket, but we come, we become sort of, you get tunnel vision. You get tunnel visioned. Yeah. Whereas I think the way my life has panned out, I've been able to access different, different skill sets. And whereas my brother's been in football, um, you know, so there's different, you know, there's different pathways that you can go. Has seeing him flourish, him being your little brother, has that pushed you and encouraged you to become a to, to you know, take football serious as well as your other stuff as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I used to. I used to watch my brother, you know, playing in front of sellout crowds. I was like, wow, that would be mad if I played like, if, yeah. you know. And then obviously um, the Olympics here in, in London 2012, that was a bit of a game changer for women's football. Um, you know, the first game, one of, one of the games was against Brazil at Wembley. That was yeah. 75,000 people. And that was the first time I was like, wow, like this is, <laughs> this is crazy, yeah. you know. But obviously that was normal for my brother. So um, it always made me dream of what it could be like for women yeah. and for myself. Um, so it was a, it was a really healthy reference, reference point for me. Um, but it, he's also been important because if my brother tweets about me, his fan base will see women's football. Okay. Right? Yeah. So he's exposing a whole fan base of men to women's football. And because he respects it and backs it, they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to check that out. Yeah. So he's been really good in that way um, because I feel like I've got a lot of male fans through my brother. Yeah. Do you give him that, like, tweet this, look, this is happening, <laughs> tweet this? No, nah, I mean, to be fair, my brother's not the, not big on social media anyway. He's never been, but which 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 makes me feel like when he does tweet, he like he's proper backing it. You yeah. Know? And so I've always appreciated that. Like, I hear that um, and I respect the little... You could have been like, oh, like he's. I don't want to do it now. Like he's gone far. Mm. Women's football's not that big. I'm never going to be big. But you stuck at it as long as well as having a backup plan. And now, now look at you. Do you know what? To be honest with you, like if someone said to me when I was six that you'll never play in front of sellout crowds, you'll never get a good contract from professional football, I still probably would have done it. Yeah, I love football. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And I think that's how we should live our life. We should be led by our passion. Okay. You know, so the rest has been a bonus. I never did it for the money anyway. Yeah. Um, and now, obviously, you know, I've, I'm retired now, but, you know, the final sort of six, seven years of my career, I had good contracts and I was able to buy a house and all of those things. So that was all a bonus. But I just, I love football. Yeah. You know? No. That's the message I like to give to um, young players that I've coached or I speak to. The more you enjoy it, the better you'll play and the better yeah. things will come. So don't force yeah, yeah, yourself yeah. to try and be that big star now. 
you don't but know. I think, what's... You know, I think a lot of a lot of professional footballers lose that. You know, a refer- when I, when I went to America, that was my first pro contract. I was twenty one. I just graduated from uni. I was like, wow, what am I gonna do? Yeah. And um, I got a pro contract in America, and my coach, my Brazilian coach, he was hard on me. I didn't score in the first six games. So I was, and in America, it's like the whole trade system. The league own your the league own your rights, so okay. they can they can trade you at any time. You, it's not like here where you sign a contract. It's like right, I'm good yeah. for two years, yeah. three years. They can trade you at any time. So I was panicked all. The, I felt stressed all the time. So my first six game hadn't six games I hadn't scored, and my coach came up to me and he through the interpreter he didn't speak any English, and he came up to me. He said, "I want you to play how you played when you were young." And th- this guy doesn't know me. He saw something. He he's like he saw the street footballer in me. Yeah. And he said, "I want you to play how you played when you were a kid, when you didn't even think." And it sounds simple, but when you get into when you become a professional, you're thinking, "Ah, oh, tactics, and I've got to impress the manager, and then I've got to play for the contract, and then the money, and then some players then think, if I've got six months left on my contract, I'm not gonna." So it becomes political, and you lose that like love. childlike yeah, love for yeah. it. But when you tap back into that childlike love, you play better anyway. Yeah. So when he said that to me, I was like, you know, whatever happens, I'm just gonna enjoy it. I, I back, like I finished the top score of the league that 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 season Decent. because Decent. I just let it go. I let that pressure of oh, I'm a pro now, you know. I let it go. You jumped straight into when you was a pro. When you were 16, you won your first trophy, right? Or was it with Birmingham? First trophy with Birmingham was. Uh, I can't remember now. Yeah, the first trophy with Birmingham was 2012 FA Cup. But my first trophy with Charlton, it was Charlton, I won the FA Cup, was 2005. So I was like 18. Scored the winning goal. <laughs> That's number one. Yeah. And then, you, then you've gone on to play for Birmingham. You couldn't have turned down Birmingham, could you? Like, it's hometown. Yeah, well, Birmingham was my first sort of professional, well, semi-professional club, yeah. really. Um, And ironically, that the manager, my manager then, is now the manager at Aston Villa who I hired oh. Aston Villa. So just life was You just hired gone. him? Yeah, oh, so obviously I'm director of football now. So I hired him to, to come in as interim manager until Decent. the end of the season. But he was my first coach. Okay. So he taught me a lot in terms of what I've, you know, what I, you know, how I am as a footballer now. So, um, yeah, that was my first sort of semi-professional environment. The first kind of environment where it was like, right, you got to win. Like, yeah. There's pressure to win now. Like, you've got to score goals versus it just being fun. Yeah. Um, um, it's quite a goal scorer. I think they nicknamed you, like, the Wayne Wayne Rooney of women's football. You didn't really like that, did you? No, I, I was I was gassed about that, to be honest. Oh, was you gassed? Yeah. I read somewhere, it's like, I think you put out saying it's not a nickname I wanted or something. Yeah, I think that was Frank Kirby. Oh, Frank okay. Kirby might have said that. Okay. Because they called her Mini Messi and she was like, I don't want that pressure. <laughs> But I didn't. I I was honoured and flattered because I'm similar age to Rain Rooney. I think maybe one year. Okay. And so when he was, when he came out and scored that goal against Everton, when he was 16, I was flying for Birmingham. So okay. he, he was like a reference point for me. Like, ah, oh, that young boy's like he's doing his thing. <laughs> so when they kind of gave the the same analogy, I was like, I loved it because that's who I was looking at anyway in terms of like young players. You know, because everyone was older than me at Birmingham. Yeah, I was one of the well, I was the youngest, one of the youngest players. Did Did you say like you're around the same age? 
Yeah, I think we're the same age. Rooney, if you're listening, can you holler at any <laughs> for some skincare tips, please? God, <laughs> <laughs> say, hey, listen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty, gonna, I'm, I'm 34. Gonna, I'm not going to talk too much. I'm not going to talk too much. So you won your... I've counted three. So you won a title with Birmingham. Yes, yeah, so FA Cup with Birmingham, FA Cup with Charlton, um, three, ti- well, three titles at Chelsea. It's five. Two FA Cups. Seven. Three, three trophies at Juventus. <laughs> Listen, you're tr- <laughs> you tr- do you do you, uh, do you tell your brother? But right, come and check my winners cabinet. Like, what have you got? Oh, no, 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 it's not, no, I would never go, I would never, um, I would never go at him like that, but I'm very proud, yeah, I'm very proud of, who, would, who wouldn't be, there's I'm certain men that. that could play 30 years. because you know what, because that makes Ain't it sound that. as if it was just a breeze, right, like I just won nah, everything, but, but there was a long time between, between winning the FA Cup at 18, because that was just the FA Cup, yeah, there was a, there was a long time that I didn't win the league, so, Everyone knows why right, you want to win the league, yeah. like as a football. That's the that's the pinnacle, the league, and then there's Champions League. So between eighteen winning the FA Cup and winning my first league title in 2015, that's ten years. So I went ten years, coming second, coming third, like in America, coming second, coming third. So I, the first long time I was so desperate to win the league with a team. Yeah. So when we finally won it in 2015, it was like the b- best day of my life because even though I'd won something before, it wasn't the league, you know? So when I hear footballers like Steven Gerrard, for example, talking about how it burned them, yeah, you know, to not win the league, I get it. Um, and so I'm just happy that I finally did that. And then it was <laughs> yeah. like, once I won one and I won, you know, just two and coming. three with, with Chelsea and uh, Juventus. You won the first women's FA Cup at Wembley. What was that like? Listen, that week, so I'll give you a bit of background. So 2014, yeah, Chelsea, um, we were very, very good. Last day of the season, uh, we played Man City, we went to Man City and they rested five players, they were fifth in the league, sixth in the league. They had nothing on it. Yeah, We went up there, we only needed one point to win the league. Remember, this is my first league title. <laughs> so I'm like, on God, it. please. Yeah. We get up there, we lose the game. We lost 2-1. I was devastated. I wanted to quit football. I was just like, I've, I've failed everybody. And this is, remember, this is now like women's football's on TV. Yes. Like, I'm the sort of main player of the team or one of the main players of the team. So I was devastated. That was 2014. 2015 comes now. And again, we're very good. We're on a title chase. Um. But the FA Cup final came before, the obviously, the end of the season. So that whole week leading up to the FA Cup, I was stressed. I wasn't sleeping. Wow. I was really stressed because I just, it was like, I just wanted to win. And I think the media had got in my head where they were saying, oh, they're flops and they lost it last year yeah. and they're never going to. So I remember, I remember not really enjoying it. So the game, the actual game, I didn't really enjoy it because... I was just stressed. I just wanted to win so badly. I didn't really relax into the occasion. Yeah. So uh, even the whole, the fact that you're at Wembley didn't really give you a no, little, you wanted like, the I league. Was just, I was like, I liken it a bit like to a singer with stage fright. Okay. Like, 
they 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 can sing and they're very good at singing, but it's like they're stressed. Like ah, oh, you know, what if what if it goes wrong or what if we lose? I, I just I was scared. Okay. So the whole occasion kind of just passed me by. Funny enough, I got player of the match, so I channeled a lot of that energy. But if you ask me whether I enjoyed the occasion, no, I was stressed. And then I came off 85 minutes with cramp. And I remember, you can see it all on YouTube. I remember being sat there on the bench and they announced player of the match. And I remember being annoyed that they announced player of the match. So I was like, I don't care about that. I just want to win. Because someone just blow the whistle. And it was 1-0. So um, I just remember being really stressed. And I've heard a lot of footballers say this. I I think it was Frank Lampard, he said, and Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, like very like high performing players. A lot of them don't enjoy some of the biggest occasions because all they're thinking about is like the next action. I don't want to mess up. They're perfectionists. Yeah. And I feel like I was a little bit like that. And that's why you played at the top, the highest level. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the elite. It still separates. I look back now, like my, some of my teammates are just like, you were kind of intense, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, I look back now and, and and you know, it must have been quite stressful to be my teammate at times because I was like. You know, I was one that was quite vocal and standards, and, yeah. um, but I just, I just really wanted to win. And you won a lot. <laughs> was that seven, yeah. seven major trophies? Well, that's the thing. So when you win the first one, it's like a bug. Yeah. It's like you, you're, in, it's like you're addicted to winning. So you set the bar then. So after we won the FA Cup, we then won, went on to win the league that year, and then Chelsea women have just been, you know, they've just been rolling ever since. Yeah. Cool. But we needed to kind of break that. Break mold, that yeah. that mold. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the publicity women's football is getting. Why do you think it's taken so long to get where it is? Because I rate I rate the standard of women's football. Mm. I think it should have had this level of publicity ten years ago. Yeah. And it would have been, you know, it's only just now yeah. that they're allowed to play in stadium, like decent stadiums, and train full time and be yeah. on TV. Like, why has it taken so long? I think no. I think when you look at men's football, the people that run football, um, you know, men's football has been around for hundreds of years. Women's football was banned for fifty years, so we're playing catch up all the time. True, true. And the people that run the game are st- are kind of they're stuck in a in a in a way that works, right? Men's football works. You make a lot of money out of it. Why are we going to change it? So for a long time, I think there was a lot of people that didn't really feel the need to change or add something else to it. But I think after the Olympics, it kind of changed the perception of many owners, many clubs, that they were like, actually, commercially, it might help to have... It's not going to cost us anything to have a women's team and it's actually going to help us extend us to a a different fan base. Yeah. You know, because from a consumer perspective, a lot of females pay for sports products like like men do exactly yeah so i think the olympics really shifted it and and then you saw clubs like arsenal chelsea man city um everton like they're having they're investing in their women's teams yeah Um, because it it took a while growing up it was only like when i was what 12 it's only like fulham that had the name i know that was probably my local club but rachel yankee was like the biggest star back then and I just think now, with the, let's say, the ability that women, these women have now, they should be getting their dues sooner. 
but it's coming and yeah, it's no, on the rise. I think, I think we're, we're finally getting we're finally getting um, all of the resources that professional footballers deserve to get. Yeah. Um, like at Villa, for example, the, the girls train at the same training ground, good pitches, nutrition, you know, everything that you need as a professional footballer, they've got. Um, yeah. Play at a good stadium. Um, I just think it's it's taken a while because the fan base didn't really necessarily respect it or need it. Yeah, the people that run the game didn't necessarily see the need for women's football. So it's just taken a while. But now the media cover it like it's 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 a game in its own right. Do you think there will ever be a chance of equal pay for like footballers? Obviously, I'm not saying the Messi's and Ronaldo standard of wages or like the City standard, but even like a normal contract will be the same as a woman's yeah I think it's already happening oh, I really? mean I think a lot of um, a lot of national teams are doing that so a lot of like I know Norway pay the same pay the female players the same as the men um, Australia uh, New Zealand like there's a few countries that have sort of made a statement about paying them their men the same as the women um, on a club level it's tough I think because in a, on a club structure, obviously the men's team r- bring all the money in. Yeah. And then you obviously pay the men commensurate to that. And then the women's women's game doesn't bring that amount of money in yet. So you, the, the ju- there's no justification to pay the same amount. But it only takes an owner with, you know, some of our some of the owners are billionaires. So it doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah, it's nothing to them. So yeah. it only takes an owner who wants to be a little bit revolutionary to say, no, we're doing it. Yeah. Um, like the Leon owner. So Leon women are paid they're the highest paid female footballers in the world. Okay. Um so Nikita Paris is there, like players like that. So he he took a decision and said, No, we're gonna pay our female footballers like the best in the world. So it, it kind of only takes that kind of decision to do it. Yeah. So I think it's possible, very possible. On your in your career. Was you ever? Did you ever get any sexist abuse? Because um, I read somewhere Sean Massey, the, mm. the lino, she gets stuff like you should be in the kitchen and <laughs> stuff like that. Did you ever get anything like that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I get that all the time. Serious? Um, what does it affect you, or do you just brush it off like? It used to. It used to. Um, but now, I mean, it's just out. It's like really is that is that boring is, now? Yeah, it's like boring. Um. And and a lot of the time, I know it's it's the kind of it's just a distraction tactic. Um, when I go on and do a lot of punditry, I get a lot of like you know you're clueless, you know what are you doing talking about football, yeah. all that. But the way I see it now is is I've been pundit I've been doing punditry now for, for since two thousand and eight. Like I was the first female footballer match of the day at two thousand and eight. That's like twelve years later. So. If I keep getting booked by all these broadcasters, I'm doing all right, yeah, you yeah. know. So I'm not going to listen to, you know, fans and and people who have got outdated views. That it's just not, it's just not, it's not the it's not the right people to listen to. If a producer says to me, "Listen, I think you could have done better today," then I'm yeah. listening. Okay, you know. But and I take constructive criticism as well from from those people. But those are the people that really matter in terms of you know being a female in the men's game. Makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, fans, 
yeah, that's it. That's why, like, when I'm on Twitter, sometimes I take a step back because you have to. Some people are just wild. Because the thing is, I don't mind someone saying I don't agree with that point. I want that. Yeah, you know, because whether you're Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher, like they, like people don't like them either. Yeah, you true. know, so it's not really that. It's more like don't attack my gender because of my opinion. It's more like that or my race because I have a different view to you. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. So so people can't separate like how they talk to men, female men pundits about their opinion and female pundits about their gender. Yeah. You know? Um but you know, I look at social media now like a, a diet. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't eat McDonald's every day. Do you yeah, know what I mean? True, yeah. You know it's bad for you. So true. I just I consume it in moderation. I've put my on my phone now screen time where my phone locks me off social media after oh, two hours. Decent. It helps because yeah. You, you, you just get this wave of energy sometimes on, on it's, Twitter. It's, it's, it's mad, it's very thing. mad. Um, you touched on a race topic. You And, and let's, because we're on the topic of Twitter, you tweeted something about your political views. Yeah. Like you got quite a lot of stick from that because of your race. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um. So I... I I tweeted um in 2019 I tweeted about voting for the Conservative Party um in the 2019 election and I I had a personal my own experience with racism you know with the FA and the the FA, FA case um one of the big parts of that case was me speaking to the parliamentary committee about you know, racism and institutional racism and, and the whole case. And I felt very supported by, put it this way, they didn't have to do that. Yeah. I felt very supported by conservative MPs in that moment who were trying to change the conversation around race and how footballers were being treated, how women's footballers were being treated. So I'm a law person. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, that's the most difficult time in my life, right? So... I respect that and I honour that. And so when it came to now the election, I was like, you know what? I feel there's a sense of repaying that I need to do because of racism, not because of anything else. Yeah. So I was quite open about um, my support of, you know, Conservative Party and Conservative Party's MPs, not Boris Johnson. <laughs> like <laughs> Boris Johnson is the leader of the party I voted for. So anyways now, so when I'm tweeting that, obviously I'm getting a lot of heat from, from the black community because they're like, you're black. Why are you vote, voting for a party that we feel are right-wing and racist? Yeah. But my argument is, yeah, but they helped me with racism. So you're now putting your expectation on me as what black people should do and think and, 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 and vote and because I'm black. But actually, my experience is, is is different as a black woman with the party, with the Kazakh party. I understand why people feel, um, you know, people feel that way. But I think we've got to have a better conversation amongst ourselves in the community about different experiences as black people and not think in a sort of one dimensional way about how we should think, what music we should listen to, how we should talk, what we should... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because black is not black is a whole experience. It's not one thing. So 
that taught me a lot about kind of where we're at sometimes as a black community. We're like, we're too quick to cancel if we don't, someone doesn't have the same view or doesn't agree with you. Um, I don't think I'm a highly political person, to be honest. Um, I, you know. You just kicked off a storm that Yeah, and, and, and there's nuance, you know, like, I like rich tea biscuits, but I eat jollof. Like, you could, it doesn't have to be polarised. Yeah. You know, I've, I voted for the Conservative Party, but equally, I voted Remain. You, you just know? vote for who, like, what you feel. Like, so, I think we've got to have a better way of assessing people's decisions in life based on their experience, not based on what the race should do. And do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get you, I get you. I think people need to, like, educate themselves more and mm. not just listen to the or become sheep. Exactly. Educate themselves more on, you know, what people are doing and why you're doing a certain thing or why you should do a certain I've thing. I said it before in an interview. I guarantee you a lot of people... I love Stormzy. Like, I've met him a few times and he's he's so good to me and he's, he's really supported me. But, you know, he, I, I think... You know, I think maybe a lot of young people vote a certain way because a rapper says it in a song. That's not reason to vote. Like, you need to go and research yeah. how that vote will affect your life. And so I think we can be better with just being a bit more educational rather than following the culture or yeah. following the crowd. I know? don't think people realise that when, you, when you're actually in the booth, you're not actually voting for Boris or Corbyn. <laughs> you're voting for yeah. your MP of your... Exactly. area in it exactly so your mp could be good compared to like let's exactly. say labor it could be exactly. better than the labor for That's your a area great point yeah great point but, um talking about experiences i don't really want to go into depth with this because you probably spoke about it and i don't want to trigger certain things but are you in paris call because when she scored that and she showed support to the manager mm. after your incident mm. did that did you feel hurt or oh i was very hurt um look me, me and me and keats were never tight Okay. Like, she's younger than me. Um, and I was sort of a senior in the team at the time she was coming through as a youngster. So we were never really cool like that. Um, but obviously when that happened, she kind of pitched her tent, you know, in, in terms of saying, I'm not for, I'm not for you any. Um, and I'm endorsing what I feel at this moment in time is a manager and my manager um, for whatever reason, maybe to pick me and to like me or whatever. Yeah. It was a very naive thing to do because what she was effectively doing is making a statement for someone who was being, uh, you know, who was in a racism case at the moment, at, at that time, who was proven to have said racist things. Yeah. Right? So you've pitched your tent there. That's a, that's a, that's a tricky tent <laughs> to, to pitch yourself. Yeah. So... And then for me, it was hurtful because I was always someone in the England team who I spoke up for the team. Like I would try and like help with the contracts because of my legal background. Yes. So it was never about just me. I was always trying to be there for the team. So when I saw that, I was like, raw, really? Okay. Like that's not how a teammate, whatever, whatever you think, you should not, shouldn't do that to your teammate. So it was probably the worst. That was, I remember... I remember someone sent me the video and I, and I, I was really upset. I broke down. I was, I was upset because I just felt like that's not how a team should be. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously I felt like a lot of things I'd done in the team were just, were just erased by that, by that situation. Um, but fast forward, obviously, what, three years? Last year, obviously, George Floyd happened. There was lots of conversations. Blackness was cool. 
right? Yeah, yeah. So obviously she came out and, and sort of had reflected and apologised um, and got a lot of heat, to be fair. You know, people don't forget. So yeah. She got a lot of heat for that. Um, but she apologised. She apologised and I think she's obviously had time to reflect. So I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm, I'm it's cool. You know, it's like, I, I always think that unity should be the first port of call. Unity should be the first position. Yeah. Particularly for black women. It's already hard for us. Do you know what I mean? So let's be unified within it. So I was like, cool. Thank you for the apology. Um, let's try and remember that it's about unity. Um, but it wasn't a personal apology. You know, she, you know, she, she apologized publicly and obviously I, accept the apology publicly. I would have preferred it to be a bit more personal, but it's cool, like no hard feelings. Yeah, it's, not, it's not slowed down your progress or slowed down your exactly, work and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly, so. and, and and her too. Yeah. Um speaking of like speaking on racism, I feel like when you probably feel like this is where you're probably sick of it. When something happens, they call on yourselves and yeah. other black players and black athletes to speak on it do you does that not anno- like does that not annoy you um it, it it does now because i think i think people are aware that the solution is not it's not for it's not our job to explain what racism is yeah right um it's not really our job to kind of give the solutions to the problem when we're not creating the problem um so i think it's lazy. I think once upon a time, it was very important to hear what racism sounded like and what racism was yeah. for people because racism, not just name calling, racism can be a way you're treated at work. It can be lots of things. Yeah. So I do think we needed to be able to share our experience publicly. I think now we're at a point where everybody should be having a conversation about racism and looking at what they can do rather than just waiting for us to kind of create the solutions to a problem we never created. Yeah, true. Uh, the other thing I would say, though, is that I also think that a lot of a lot of black people, when talking about racism, need to think about how to be a, solu- like, be a solution themselves, right? So rather than being, like, talking about the problem, how can you be someone who represents the solution so i always say racism is not going to go away you know it's been around for hundreds of years um but ultimately as black people we've got a lot going going for ourselves that we can utilize and that's sometimes why there is racism we're a threat yeah so it's about saying let's tap into that let's have our own podcast let's have our own like focus on all of the things that are going to push you forward in life you know, build your own tables, buy property, start your own company, start like move it forward. Because when you do that, then no one can really try step to you. Do you think Jay Z's? Yeah. Do you think Jay Z's never faced racism? My man's a billionaire <laughs> because he's navigated it and figured it out how to navigate the problem. You know, so I, I I feel like we need to move the conversation forward about how we are gonna progress as 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 people and how we're going to utilize the things that really make us powerful rather than talking about the problem and being victims of racism you know no that's that's a good point because i see it as 
building, as you say, the commu our community. It comes from when I was younger, like the music scene, like the Wileys and that they built a scene so solid. They built a scene right. where just adding to the bricks. And now we're at a pl we're at a place where being black is cool or our culture's cool. Like right. Afro beats and bashment, all of that, it's all cool. So now it's time for us to stamp our authority in these in Absolutely. these industries and help the people that have been like not even not not ignore it, but just be like, oh, all right, again, like and go like that and but just show also, them that yeah. we're better than that. Like, so what like but it's also about like so those are industries where black people are expected to thrive right entertainment sport yeah music my thing is is let's start thriving in other areas too finance property ownership brand ownership like talk the talk all of these things where it's like then we're really talking yeah because in a way, and this is going to sound like really deep, but in a way, it's kind of like the world's been created for us to, all right, let's give them that. Let's give them the music and the sport. We're trying to, no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to own property. I'm trying yeah. to, you know, so if we have that mindset, then we're talking, you know what I mean? Because I think sometimes we, we sort of stay in the same lanes that have been sort of set up for us. Now it's about new lanes now. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's my... That's what I really want for black people. I'm passionate about black people, you can probably tell. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm passionate about black excellence. And I'm saying, now let's let's go into other areas now where, okay, there'll be resistance because that wasn't really meant for us. But we can we can do it. I think you know? I think it's slowly getting there, because if you look at fashion, like Kanye West, what he's doing with Yeezy, like sells out like that. Virgil being the creative director at Louis Vuitton. I know people say it all about fear of God, like everyone's in an essentials tracksuit, but that's still that's those are free black business owners my guys who are, are killing it and my guys are from the hood exactly so, so it's like if they can do it like honestly i just think that it's a but it's a mindset thing because it, it, it's like yeah it's a mindset thing it's it's difficult to kind of put into words but i do think you got to start tapping into something that you, you maybe no one ever thought you could do yeah but you you can do it you know you got to think you got to sort of believe it first it will come and it will come um you spoke a lot about what you do, like your law side. Did you did you study law to set yourself up after football or just to do it concurrently? Um, it's a good question. I think it was a bit of both. So, you know, from as a Nigerian, obviously it's like lawyer, doctor. So you've got to have them pharmacy, proper, proper jobs. You yeah. know, it's like <laughs> um but to be fair, when I look back, I've always been someone who you know, could speak for people, could speak for myself. You know, I enjoyed reading and writing. So I think I lent myself to being a lawyer. Um, I was, I, I used to watch a lot of legal dramas when I was young. What, the suits? So I, I kinda, like, yeah, yeah, so I wanted to kind of go in that area. Um, but obviously I think it, 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 you know, my family were okay with it too. Of course and that you want to do, you, you know, you, you want to do well for your, you want to do well for your family as well. Um, so yeah, that that's probably why I went down, and I I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, and it's helped me really in life with contracts and negotiations and things like that. Do you enjoy retirement? I do. I really do. And people ask me all the time, "Do you miss it?" And I'm like, "I'm too busy to miss it." You know, <laughs> like I I've made myself really busy in the other areas I'm trying to do. So, um, I I don't spend a lot of time looking back, um. And I think it helps that, you know, I was full. 
you know, when I retired, I was my, my belly was full. Like yeah. I'd won a lot and I retired at Ouch. I retired at the top of the mountain. I think a lot of people retire at the point where people go like, oh, like, why are they still playing? You know, yeah, I was scared of overdo that. overdo it, yeah. You know, I was scared of that. A bit like Rooney. Like, I love Rooney from young. Yeah. But when he started going to America, coming back to... I was a bit like, right, this man's Going from playing. a striker to playing centre mid. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't really... I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to kind of finish at the top, maybe a bit early, and then go into another... Um, so... I think I've I think I've kept myself busy enough to to not miss it too much. But some some little things make me miss it. Like if I'm like I used to love doing the like rondos. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where like you do a rondo and you make not not make someone. <laughs> you know when you see it on Instagram yeah, it comes yeah. up. That I buzz off that. You know because I used to laugh and you know I used to buzz off not making people and stuff. But things like that make me miss it. But generally not really. Okay. Um. Also with your law law stuff, you've represented David Beckham. Frankie Boyle, mm. um, what's his name from One Direction? Oh, One Direction. Yeah, your whole One Direction. Yeah. How did that come about? Like, do they, like, cool, you're a lawyer, but they're established names. Mm. Why did they contact Enya Luko? Yeah, no, so how it worked was like, so when you, when you finish your law degree, you then, you then do your legal training. You do two years legal training. And I knew pretty quickly I wanted to be a sports lawyer. I wanted yeah. to be a sports and entertainment lawyer. So I, I worked for a firm called Lee and Thompson and all of those guys were their clients. Okay. So obviously the work I was given to kind of as my training was representing, representing them. So I went to a firm who already had those guys as clients. So I was exposed pretty early to like what, you know, the, the big guys, their contracts and, you know, the negotiations yeah. and the rights and all that. So um, it, I was lucky. It was a good job because it was like, Wow. Okay, it exposed me to the entertainment side of the world pretty quickly. That's decent. Um, so that, what a way to start training for your like do your law training, like working with David Beckham's campaign and stuff like that's mad. Like, would, would you ever? Yeah, you must have been starstruck. That's well, I never met that. Like, oh, I thought you met. I oh. think law. I think I think law. People think it's a lot more glamorous than it is. Like, this is me just sat on a desk <laughs> doing a contract. Okay. It's the big guy. So my oh, okay. my boss, my partner, the partner of the firm. He would have met like all the agents and 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 you know, but even then, I was always like, "Well, I'm working on you know David Beckham's contract, or I'm working on you know One Direction's next contract." And so there was that sense of you know, I, I knew the fine detail, yeah. But I obviously, no, I never met, okay, I never okay. met them. Although I have met Beckham before, but no, I never, I never met them from a legal capacity. But um, do you see yourself as a celebrity? No, I don't. Um, and this is where I think women's football is quite nice because um, you've kind of got the best of both worlds. Yeah. In a sense that you've got like a sense of like your life and anonymity and people don't really bother you. I get recognised, but it's not like I I can't go out and to Tesco and, and buy myself a sandwich. Like, whereas the guys, it's like, that's not yeah, even... Yeah, it's mad. Um, so no, I don't really see myself as a celebrity. I see myself as a high profile person that people look to in terms of what I'm going to say, good and bad, yeah. and jump on it. If I, you know, I, I do, I, I'm very aware of my voice is some something that people do look to as a sort of role model. Um, sometimes I go back and forth with the pressure of that because I'm a human being and, yeah. you know, um, 
but celebrity I think is a bit of another level. Yeah. Okay. I look at someone like Meghan Markle, I'm just like, poor woman. You yeah, know? yeah. Like that's long. We won't get into that. We won't yeah. get, we're not a. We're not a. <laughs> don't want to get us shut down. Um, <laughs> with your with that high profile status that you've got, have you ever slipped up? Where like you done something that's not detriment, not detrimental to your career or who you are, but people have, you've received backlash apart from the Twitter thing. Um, it's, it's funny. It's all probably been through Twitter, you know. Okay. Um, like I tweeted, I tweeted about furlough last year. Um, so I was just sat on my sofa one day, and I I saw somebody bragging about like cheating the furlough system and obviously as I said I have a I have a much more global perspective so I have a sort of African perspective I don't just think about the UK yeah so when I was reading up about furlough and 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 seeing a lot of stuff about furlough I was thinking this is this is a luxury in a way because there's people who've got COVID in other countries in Africa that they've still got to go to work yeah so that's kind of my perspective um so yeah, I saw this person bragging on Twitter about how he's getting paid more than he, he should. And I'm like, wow, that's you're 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 creaming off through the pandemic. Like that's yeah. that's and bragging about it. So I've tweeted in general and said something I can't remember what it, what it was, but basically said like furlough, the extension of furlough is going to make people feel entitled and do nothing. Obviously, people are like, oh my god, like how can you say that about everybody on furlough and. I wasn't talking about everybody on furlough. I was the talking Twitter about, do, yeah. But obviously, on Twitter, there's no nuance. So people, people think that you are, um, you know, coming people, for them. People think they're coming. It's like this. It's very confrontational platform. So when I got a lot of that heat, obviously the papers pick it up, and then it becomes a whole big thing at work, and you know, so. I instantly apologise because my intention was not to upset anybody. I was just commenting on a tweet I'd just seen and my view on furlough. Yeah. Um, so those things I feel like are mistakes because to be honest, it's not worth the trouble. Yeah. Because <laughs> I spent the next three days talking to journalists, talking to work. and. Um, but again, going back to being a women's footballer, you can make mistakes without it getting into the papers. Right? Is Is that... Is that a good or a bad thing though? Because it feels like it seems like, yeah, you're an elite athlete, but you're not respected. So you can do something and it will just be brushed under the carpet because you're not fully in the public eye. But in your world, you are that woman, like Anya Luko, top elite. It depends on what level. So oh yeah, so actually so like last year I went to Barbados on holiday. Must be nice. Yeah, it was really lovely. <laughs> actually, it turned out to be a really stressful holiday. So went to Barbados. Obviously, this was the height of COVID. This was like August. So they had all these COVID rules where it's like you got to come with a negative test or whatever. So yeah. did all that. Got there. My test had expired. So they were like, you got to do the test again. I was like, cool, no problem. We had to wait eight hours in the airport to do the test. Then you had to stay in a, in a hotel that they told you, a quarantine hotel they told you to stay yeah. in pay by the way so you've got to pay for your own hotel so i was a bit like okay whatever whatever the process is Let's i need it, to start yeah. my holiday they said you got to wait 16 hours for your result i wake up the next morning 16 hours gone where's my test result i need to start my holiday yeah they were like no you got to wait again 
So they were like, look, we'll contact you with your result and you can go. So I left, went to my hotel that I'd booked for my holiday, cracked on with my holiday. Next thing now, I'm like, they're like, you need to get your test result. So I went back to the hotel who had let me go, yeah. said, where's my test result? Got there, police were there. What? Oh, you've broken quarantine rules. Da, 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 da. So I'm like, what do you mean? Like, they let me go. Someone's obviously leaked that to the press. Any Aluko footballer breaks quarantine rule is all over the papers. In Barbados and in England. Wow. So my whole holiday, on top of that, the the papers... So when you go when you when you go to court, I had to go to court. I had to say to the the magistrate, "Listen, it was not intentional." Didn't yeah, it? yeah. When oh you God, go, wait, to, wait, it got that big. Got that big. Mad. So, so, so to your point, there's times when I think oh, I'm a women's footballer. I'm obscure. There's times when I think, right, okay, this is now. I'm a somebody, I can't do anything. Man. Yeah. So because I'm trying to be on holiday, <laughs> like I'm trying to have a holiday, literally. Yeah. So go to the court now and. When you go to court in Barbados, they say your name and your address. The papers printed my address in London. Come, like I'm coming out court. So I'm now on holiday wow. and the whole world knows where I live. Right? So I'm now fighting to get this my address out of the papers. The journalists are obviously like, no, wow. we're not trying to help you. So the whole holiday, I was just stressed because I was thinking people are going to burgle my house. People know where I live. My safety's been compromised. Yeah. They told everybody the hotel I live at. So that's the side of it. I'm like, okay, like this is now a different level of, you, you said that word celebrity. Yeah. That's when you kind of feel like you're in a goldfish bowl. Um, So things like that have happened where I've questioned and then makes me touchy about what I can do. And who's watching and, yeah. you know, and that that's not nice because you want to be able to live your life, you know? No, I can't, can't Especially imagine. now I'm retired. I'm like, I'm retired, <laughs> man. Chill, I'm trying man, to chill, yeah. you know? Couldn't imagine. But with that, there's got to be like funny times to it. Like you you must get people in your DMs on Insta and stuff like oh. that. <laughs> I've had marriage proposals. What? From, you know, I've had guys in, in, in my DMs um, just saying all kinds <laughs> of madness. Um, they're usually like young Nigerian guys from Nigeria saying, you know, please marry me. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, it's, it's not okay. Happen, you know, sorry. so, um, but yeah, it's just, you know, but usually it's, 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 it's cool. Like 90% of the time it's, it's people saying really nice things. Okay, cool. You, you get the odd people. So I had a, I had another issue with Millwall fans where I commented on Twitter about, um, Millwall fans, I think were given a £10,000 fine for being racist. Yeah. And I commented and was like, there, there's no point giving them a fine. Like, that's, you know, if you're going to do it, do it. Yeah, do it big. And a whole mill, and I just released my book. So I just released my book, They Don't Teach This. And the mill, a lot of Millwall fans went to Amazon. I actually find it quite funny. They went on mass to Amazon and gave these terrible reviews <laughs> of my book. Saying, wow. your book, I wouldn't even wipe my ass with your book. And, and I've just I've just released my book. So this is now a problem because people who are going to buy the book on Amazon are thinking, wow, this has got really bad reviews. Yeah. And that's all started from just a comment on Twitter. So, and then when I blocked people on Twitter or the, when I blocked certain people on Twitter, they now come off, try to find you on Instagram. <laughs> so they now DM you. It's, people are crazy. Mate, you've got... 
as bad as they are, you've got to rate the creativity and the work, work rate of trolls. If they could tunnel that into something else, they'll be they'll be gone. But they want to. Saying I'm like, who has time to be yeah. sitting around trying to trying to you know say trying to find and. Even on Twitter, so when I went when I went private on Twitter, because when you go private on Twitter, it stops all that trolls, yeah. right? There's people still requesting <laughs> to be your friend so they <laughs> can abuse control, you. Yeah, it's mad. It's, mad. it's madness. It's mad. But oh. it's you know I I use I very much use the block button and the, and the um you know I I use all of that <laughs> to make sure that I just stop that energy. You yeah, know? no, it's mad. It's a Twitter's a weird world. But um, what is your message to young up-and-coming female footballers or athletes that want to be the next Enya Luka? Oh, I've got a lot of messages. But I think the main one for me is, like, it starts It starts with you. Like, you've got to really, like, believe in yourself. Yeah. You've got to validate yourself. Um, you got to, you got to understand that if you don't rate yourself, you're. it's going to be very, very difficult for other people to if you don't rate yourself then you're gonna kind of be subject to the applause and, and if, if you if you kind of always wait for the applause it might never come yeah. right so if you have inner confidence within yourself it's like a shield it's like it's like a superpower you know I spent a long time in my life being like what does the coach think what does my mom think what does this person think what is and it's like it, it, and I never really asked how I feel about it or what I feel or what I think so I always tell young girls like develop your self-confidence you know don't compare too much to what other people are doing you know looking on Instagram and all that like don't try and find your own lane and your own voice and your own confidence and you'll really feel like 10 foot tall when you find that um so that's it takes a while but that's that's my message if if I could speak to my like 15 year old self that's what i would say because now i have it now i'm like i feel lighter because yeah. of that um so yeah no, that's a good message especially with the instagram thing because they're trying yeah. to be these edited models and stuff like that and just like just and be you real. in it like it's, and yeah it's it's, really and the people just... you're comparing yourself to they are editing you know what you're seeing and you're you probably know? living better than them like this but um thank you for coming on thank you for having me nah no problem man no problem what a I hope I'm the first of many, many girls on here. Listen, (laughs) we're building, we're building, man, we're building. And well done for all you're doing, man. Thank you. You know, as I said, I love, I love seeing, you know, the the, the culture, black community doing their thing, owning their own platforms. So, yeah, thank you. We're building slowly. Thank you, man. Thank you. Quick fire round. Favourite player? Favourite player is Messi. I'm a team messy yeah, man just, myself. Yeah, um, that's it. <laughs> most skillful player you faced? Uh, Marta, Brazilian, Brazilian uh, female player, one of the best of all time. She can win a game alone. Like, yeah, you know, there's a there's a clip on YouTube of her against USA semi final of the World Cup. She scored four goals. Her fourth goal, she got it back to goal, flipped it around a goal, flipped it around a defender like Burkamp, uh, did a scissors, gone around a defender bottom corner that's her fourth goal of the game in the world cup semi-final like she playing against her i was like yeah she's on my youtube list for tonight (laughs) um favorite pre-match meal i wasn't great with pre-match meals i wasn't a big eater but i i always used to like to eat um like sweet potato 
um, rice, uh, and a bit of veg. Okay. Um, biggest adrenaline rush you've had in football? Winning the FA Cup uh, in 2015 at Wembley. That even, was, though, even though you hated it? Even though, <laughs> well, yeah, hated the game. Post-game, I went off. Like, I was, that was just it for me. Like, it made my life. I was Decent. very happy. Um, what are your superstitions before a game? So before a game, the night before a game, I always used to um, sit in a magnesium bath because I used I was a fast I was fa- fast athlete, so I used to get cramps a lot. Yeah. So I used to sit in a magnesium bath, put some um, put some like uh, tea tree oil in it, just relax, and then the next morning I'd, I'd spray some magnesium on my legs. Um, and then I'll be good to go. Get a rub. Get a get a rub before train yeah. uh, before the game, and I'm good to go. Okay. Um, worst trainer, but best on a match day. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Gemma Davison, who she used to play with me at, at Chelsea. This girl is one of the most talented footballers I've ever seen. Like in terms of her skills, she actually's she's she's like a freestyler now. Yeah. Like her skills are ridiculous, but. In training, I just used to be like, Gem, like, come on, like, at least fake it. Like, this is, you know, she just wouldn't really, sometimes she just wouldn't run or she just like, this is long. Yeah. She wouldn't. But on a match day, she would, she could do anything she wanted in terms of like skills, beating players, scoring, like she was ridiculous, but not, not the best trainer. Okay. Um, Most embarrassing moment. Most embarrassing moment was probably... My first England camp, um, I turned up in a suit, in a Marks and Spencer suit. <laughs> My mum treated it like it was the first day of church. <laughs> like, she treated it like the first day of school. Like, what do you mean, tracksuit? No, you're going in a suit. <laughs> turned up in a suit now, and everyone was in a tracksuit. Um, I haven't actually lived it down for a long time. And, um, oh, yeah, it was embarrassing because I was like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't get the memo, did I? That's rad. Um and any regrets? Any regrets? Yeah, I've got I've, I've got a few regrets in terms of like I, I spoke earlier about just the intensity sometimes, um, and like I, I probably sometimes go too far with my teammates, so I'd be like, oh come, on, you know, and and I think I, I sometimes forgot that it was about the team, yeah, you know, and and not it wasn't always just about winning. Um, life regrets yeah there's a few but I'll, I'll keep those to myself yeah, that's cool that's cool you're a serial winner but um thank you for coming on man thank you for having me no no thank problem you.